Welcome to the 2 Degrees C Climate Chat Podcast, your weekly guide to what's happening within the climate around the world. My name is Neil Vinnikirk, the Executive Director and a founding member of 2 Degrees C. Along with co-founders Dr. Carson Shine and Jenny Disson, we cover issues relating to the climate crisis. So join us as we explore in the 2 Degrees C Climate Chat. Welcome back to the 2 Degrees C Climate Chat Podcast. We're so happy today in person, rare for today being being covered. And as you guys can all see, we're recording outside today. Um, Lad Akins, the curator of marine conservation, got that right, for Frost Science based out of Miami. So welcome, Lad. Uh, thanks, Neil. It's good to be here. Good to see you again. Long time friend. I'm so happy to be able to have you up here just in passing. So rare to, to be able to, especially nowadays, to actually sit down in a in a a relative room space with, with, with somebody and have a face-to-face conversation. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, so um, just for those guys that are listening and for those that are watching the YouTube channel, um, who is Ned Akins? Oh. Tell us about yourself. I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out myself. <laughs> uh, well, as you mentioned, I work uh, in marine conservation for Cross Science. And I've worked in conservation for many years. I helped start Reef a Reef Environmental Education Foundation, which is a conservation organization of divers, um, focused a lot on fish surveying, developing techniques for divers to be engaged in collecting data to help scientists better understand, I shouldn't just say scientists, to help people better understand what changes are taking place and where things are found and how numbers of fish change around the world. And then uh, got sidetracked a little bit on invasive line fish issues. So it's been a number of years. Which is how we met. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so still working on some of those some of those things, but also doing a lot more now with uh, coral reef conservation and restoration. So yeah. active restoration and, and restoring reef. When I first started diving in Florida, it was, wasn't at the peak of, the coral reef ecosystem, but they were still fairly healthy. I mean, they were fields and acres of staghorn and oakhorn coral that came right up to the surface at Key Largo Dry Rocks, where the statue is, Kerry Sport Reef. Those are the fingerly looking ones. Really big ones. Yeah, yeah. For the listeners. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful stuff. The stuff that Jerry Greenberg took pictures of, it was on the cover of National Geographic. Right. And, um, And that was in the early 1980s. And then we saw a decline, and it has been a very precipitous decline until those big fields are nothing but algae-covered, half-eroded skeletons. There's no live coral like we used to have at all in those in those fields. And, and you're losing those mostly because of hurricanes. It's you know it's a combination of factors. It's, it's climate change, temperature. It's disease, it's storms, which obviously are more intense with warmer weather. Yeah. Um, it's a, there are many factors that have come into play. But the point is, it hit rock bottom. Right. And that is hugely depressing. But now with the restoration efforts and 
and technologies that we're seeing, we are still close to bottom on this, but, but we're on an uptick. Good. And, and it's very promising to look at how we can restore these reefs and what we can do to help coral reefs come back to their splendor. And it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But it looks like we we can do this, mm-hmm. uh, at least to some extent. All is not lost, and and there is hope, and there's promise, and and that's a good thing because I'm an optimist. And for a long time, we were looking at a completely degraded system, and it's like, what what can we do? Right. Well, now we have something that we can do, right. and, and and that's pretty exciting. And I mean, Florida is, I mean, we've obviously got uh, sea temperature making an effect. We have ocean acidification making an effect. Now there's this uh, um, stony coral tissue loss disease. Yeah. What can you tell us about that? Well, there've been, there've been other diseases throughout, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the years of coral demise. Mm-hmm. But this latest one is pretty dramatic. It affects the big boulder corals, like the brain right. corals and the big mountainous star corals. Pillar corals, highly susceptible. Mm-hmm. And this disease sets in and it can wipe out a coral head in a matter of weeks. And that's scary for something that could be centuries old right. to die in the snap of a finger. And uh, so a lot of work is going on uh, addressing remedies. Mm-hmm. So antibiotic creams and ointments that could be that could be placed around the perimeter of where the disease is to help help stop the disease from spreading throughout the coral head. There have been some really interesting arcing projects, taking some of the non-disease surviving corals from the wild and bringing them into institutions like public aquariums, like frost science, so we can house those corals in a disease-free environment until the disease is gone or we have cures for the disease and then be able to either breed these corals and put the offspring out or take these corals and put them back out in the wild. So there's some there's some genetic genotypes of corals, filler corals in particular, yep. that are not found anywhere in the wild anymore. The only place they're found are in museums like Frost Science, Florida Aquarium, and other American zoos and aquarium facilities. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. But at the same time, we're successful at keeping those calls alive in these zoos and aquariums. And when the time comes, being able to reproduce those corals and reintroduce them. And those reefs that you're reintroducing them onto, do you see a, a change in the fish field or the biomass really, um, you know, after some time? Yeah, well, there are studies that are looking at. I don't know that anything has been conclusive yet to show that Everything comes back when you put the corals back. We're still somewhat in the infancy. And most of the coral restoration has been around the branching corals like staghorn and elkhorn, which are very quick growing, called weedy corals, but that's a kind of a negative image. I mean, they're still very important to the health of the reef. But some of the corals we're losing are the super slow going boulder type corals mm-hmm. that take a very long time to come back. Mm-hmm. So we're in the infancy of restoring those, and it may take many years for those to come back. But as far as the fish life goes, you see the herbivorous fish and, and then the carnivorous fish following them as well, coming no. back to those areas? I don't think those studies are in yet. 
Gotcha. I don't think those data are available to show that, yes, if you do this to a reef, this is what comes out. Gotcha. But so we need more data. We need more data and we need more restoration because it's more, it's more than just those particular calls. Sea urchin. Let's talk sea urchin. Sure. Love sea urchins. I used to hate sea urchins. <laughs> so did I. I was a well, surfer. <laughs> Back when I didn't know any better. Those of us that have been around long enough to remember, these things are these big black pin cushions yeah. that inhabit shorelines and coral reefs. The density of urchins in the Caribbean and in Florida used to be about three to five sea urchins per square meter of reef. Right. Imagine every square meter of reef, three to five urchins. Yep. You know, these are big things. Very prominent, very important grazers of algae. Right. And they don't just eat algae, they scrape all the way down to the very clean, hard calcium carbonate surface. So they are removing algae, but also creating super clean surfaces for new corals to settle. Right. So we corals reproduce the eggs and larvae need a place to drop down and start a new life. Yeah. Without a clean surface, they can't be done. So we lost 97 to 98% of the urchins throughout all of the Caribbean due to a virus back in the early 1980s. Right. And they've never really come back. A few isolated places a little bit. But most of the Caribbean, still a fraction we're talking 3% of the historical population mm -hmm. of the urchins will come back. So through some new technologies and efforts, we're both relocating urchins to key reef areas so that they can graze on algae. And when we have high densities of urchins, they can reproduce effectively because they have to be close together to have effective reprodu reproduction. And we're working, Florida Aquarium's doing some pretty neat stuff with the University of Florida in the lab to spawn sea urchins, rear them, and then be able to outplant those urchins back out to the reef. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a non-coral, but very critical reef inhabitant right. that we're working on restoring. Yeah, because you know, as sea temperature goes up, so does the algae value, correct? Yeah, algae, algae thrives on those warm temperatures. Mm -hmm. yep. So when we talk about restoring coral reefs, people think corals, but it's more than that. It's going to be corals. It's going to be urchins. It's going to be sponges. It's going to be all those critical components that make up a very connected ecosystem. And we've been pretty good so far at the coral part. Mm -hmm. We're just starting on some of these new things. That's awesome. Yep. It's pretty exciting. Described barefoot luxury, the casually sophisticated Southern Cross Club is Little Cayman's original resort. This hidden gem is as unique and vibrant as the island it inhabits. A true island treasure, it is the perfect place to dive, fish and relax. Its 14 beachfront bungalows are situated on 900 feet of white sand, only minutes from the world-class diving found only in Little Cayman. Visit www.southerncrossclub.com to book your escape to tranquility. Adrian with Quest Dive Adventures, and you're listening to the Two Degrees C Climate Chat Podcast. So that's, I think, a really good place to start because, you know, we know that coral species are declining all over the world. 
Um, and so far as we can tell, a lot of that is based on, on temperature, which is exceeding the temperature range that, that uh, Carl's can tolerate. Maybe you can tell us a bit about that, about your experience. Well, for, yeah, for the listeners who don't know, corals are not found worldwide. They're found in a fairly narrow band of tropical, primarily, environments. So they need, they need warm. They can't survive in super cold water. So they need some warm. Um, but uh, low nutrients, warm water, clear water, uh, is coral habitat around the world. So they're not found everywhere. Gotcha. And as things change, those parameters of what constitutes a coral healthy environment are changing also. So as those temperatures rise, what can you see happen in the coral? Well, a few different things happen. Um, it gets too warm. Well, let's back up for a second. Corals are animals. People right. think of a coral reef and they think of a hard structure. And it is hard, but that's a skeletal structure of the animal that lives uh, inside those hard calcium carbonate skeletons. So corals pull calcium out of the seawater and they build their skeleton mm -hmm. that they live in. It's like, a, imagine a, a condominium or apartment complex where you have a lot of different people living in different units, but it all it's all part of the same building. Mm -hmm. So a coral is made up of many different individual animals all living in concert with a common skeletal structure. Mm -hmm. and that skeleton is calcium carbonate. Mm -hmm. um, corals also have a symbiotic algae that lives inside their tissues. And it helps them uh, as a food supply. It helps them convert sunlight into energy. And when temperatures get too hot, corals expel those algae symbionts. Mm -hmm. We call that coral bleaching because the algae gives the coral its color. And when the algae is gone, you have basically a clear coral animal. You see the white skeletal structure right, right. underneath it. And if it's just a temporary scenario, if it doesn't last too long, the algae will come back into that coral tissue as temperatures drop, and the corals can handle that. But if it's prolonged, corals don't do well, and, and they can actually kill the corals. Right. So that's not a good, that's not a good thing. And I've actually seen um, a couple of years, well, two years now because of COVID, but two years ago, I dived in the Maldives where um, some of those beach corals had actually gone an extra step further when they'd gone to these very bright fluorescent colors. What's happening there? Because uh, are they able to come back from that stage or is that really the last? Well, if, it, if, if it's, a, like I said, it's temporary, if it's short term, typically the algae will come back into the tissues and corals can recover. But if you're taking away a key part mm -hmm. of the, the nutrient cycle and the energy cycle of the coral for a prolonged period, bad things happen. Uh, diseases can set in, and we're seeing that in many places. So it may not be the actual temperature itself that kills a coral, but it increases the susceptibility to other factors like diseases that can kill the coral. Right. Now, you're busy with this uh, reef restoration project. What's that about? Oh, you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, let's say 10 years ago, the, the thought process in protecting coral reefs was to set them aside as a marine protected area and let them recover without undue influence. And now we're realizing they can't do it on their own. They need help. But at the same time, some amazing new techniques and technologies have come along 
that have enabled us to raise corals uh, in offshore nursery and even breed them on land mm -hmm. and be able to outplant those back out onto the reef. So in fact, we're, we're helping restore corals like we restore forests by replanting trees. And there have been some great collaboration. University groups have worked very closely with the University of Miami and Nova Southeastern University, nonprofits like CCOR, military veterans group. I don't know if you've talked with Force Blue yet, but they're an amazing group that's, uh, that's working on this issue. So all of us are coming together, it's unique collaborations and going out to, to restore these coral reefs. And what's happening is it, it started with individual corals. You grow the corals in a nursery until they're big enough to survive, take them out to the reef, cement them on the reef. But now we're looking at other reef components because it's, it's more than just corals. So we're doing some pretty unique work with sea urchins, looking at sponges, all those key components that make up that complicated connected coral reef system. Yeah, you make a good point about um, the economic value of reefs. And I, I know that quite a bit of work has been done of late to try and pin numbers in, in specific areas around the world of what these kind of statistical values are to an economy of a particular nation. And I think in, in the US, the, the, the US reef system is economically valued at about $3.4 billion. And I think globally about $375 billion. But you, know, you live in Key Largo, right? Yeah, still do. Still do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Key Largo is quite a popular area, not just for divers, but also for fishermen. Can you see much of a transition that's occurring to those guys in their daily, in their daily lives with regard to sea temperature changing the environment? I, I haven't seen that, but we know a few things from the science behind sea temperature change in the mainland. We know that certain things are uh, temperature dependent to determine their sex, like turtles. If it's, if it's too warm, they all end up being one set, which right. is not good for longevity of their right. species. Um, we know that certain things reproduce more or less depending on temperature. And, and certainly with ocean acidification, we also know that many organisms have calcium as part of their skeletal structure. Right. And, uh, and that can affect marine life. So we may not have the absolute data that said Joe Fisherman just lost 30% of his business because temperature went up. But we know temperature is going to have an effect on the livelihoods of those people that depend on the ocean. Gotcha. And that's true of, if we're going to ocean certification, also true of anyone uh, or anyone in, the, in an industry that has any calcium carbon structure, you know, oyster fisheries or or lobstermen or anyone any, any animal that's creating that calcium carbon with so many wonderful destinations around the world to choose from a little help can go a long way quest dive adventures is your premium adventure travel company offering a wide and diverse selection of destinations to choose from with dive adventures from the pacific to the caribbean and adventure travel from costa rica to africa Quest Dive Adventures offers packages including flights and accommodations, activities, transfers, diving, and more. Everything to enjoy your perfect vacation. What's your quest?
So you've been involved in quite a lot of projects over the years, and some, some I've, you know, I've seen you on Lionfish, and you've been involved with the Nassau Groupers uh, project as well, and a, bu- a bunch of projects that you know your name's been attributed. What kind of data have you seen that's been collected in the ocean right now that's of value? Well, the, the projects I've been involved in have been primarily biological. Look at how many fish are found, how big they are, um, how much things move. But it all comes down to numbers mm-hmm. that we can plug in the formulas to look at what's changing. And that's the, that's the main point of science, be able to look at what's going on, predict what those impacts are going to mean in the future. Yeah. And, um, and we need that kind of information to make informed decisions. We need information on what's going on out there. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, what kind of data is available in the ocean right now? I mean, most of the data is coming from uh, sea surface temperature from satellites and others from, uh, you know, moored reef buoys and, and ships. But what other data can we, what, how do you see we can fill these gaps? Well, we have also uh, volunteer collected data, so like the Reef Fish Survey Program. There's volunteers out there watching and recording fish and reporting those. Um, a lot of scientists are looking at growth rates and changes in, in the benthic composition, which is the, the bottom. Mm-hmm. So around a coral reef, looking at what's how much algae there is compared to live coral, et cetera. And there are some physiological data components, but physical oceanography, I think, is a is a key element that you mentioned. A lot, a lot of satellite information and atmospheric information. But when you talk about the oceans, it's hard to gather information under the surface. Right. So a lot of what we know about the oceans is surface related. But what goes on underwater, a little more challenging because right. you, have to, you know it's a challenging environment. You have to have access to that. Yeah, I know it is actually very difficult to raise funds to do research in, in the ocean environment. Mm-hmm. It, it seems uh, a space that's not adequately funded. You know, one of the things you hear a lot about during hurricane season, if you watch the Weather Channel, you know, during those months when it's hurricane season, they're always talking about heat content of the oceans and surface temperature, because those are things that fuel uh, hurricanes. Right. The warmer the ocean is and the more heat content is in the ocean, the more you're going to see increase in, in intensity of the storms. And... It's my understanding that we have a a fairly good system in place to collect that information from the surface via satellite observations. But how deep that heat goes, not so much. Right. right? So there's a there's a need for more data on what's going on with just something as basic as as ocean temperatures. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that we touched it earlier, a little earlier, we touched on uh, ocean acidification. And, um, you know, we know that that carbon dioxide that's being released as a greenhouse gas is being taken up by the ocean. And I know in, in other podcast episodes, we've, we've covered some of, of, of uh, the mechanics of how that works. But um, do you think it's fair to say that, you know, as the climate is changing and added stresses like, um, ocean acidification caused by and the uptake of, of high amounts of carbon dioxide. Um, do you see this having a negative uh, or a long-term negative effect on the reef structure? Yeah, absolutely. And it may be rising, unfortunately, in 
multiple scenarios, it, it may be rising to the top of the list. So we used to think about pollution, we used to think about overfishing, and now climate change and ocean acidification may trump those traditional impacts and, and actually be more effective than those other traditional impacts. Yeah, we see that some species are moving um, poleward because of the, of the temperature range. And I mean, you and I both know that from lionfish because, you know, as the temperature changed uh, or has changed, it's allowed lionfish to overwinter further and further north. And, but um, yeah, I mean, we, there was an article just the other day about uh, great whites uh, off the, the, the west coast of, this, of, of America and how they're, they're going further and further north as well. Yeah. But um, I mean, this is relative not just to fish species, um, it's relative to marine mammals and, um, you know, uh, chasing their food source. So, you know, if we think about the temperature itself, um, we, we surely have to consider other, uh, not just the species, but also their prey items, whether they be, be fish or even algae, right? You're going down the exact line I was going to go down. Oh, perfect. No, it's, it's critically important. We think, you know, somebody will hear, well, the, the range of lionfish or something else changed. You know, it's moving further north. And that in itself doesn't sound bad. But when you look at that entire ecosystem from the, from the primary algaes and the krill that feed on those and then the anchovies that feed on that and marine mammals that feed on that and the exchange of, of nutrients and energy through that whole system, the entire system is shifting. And that is very disruptive. And that is scary. When you think about the planet changing in the way it operates, mm -hmm. it's not one single thing that's you know, shifted its range 100 miles. It's an ecosystem that is shifting in ways that, oh, who knows what that's going to be, but potentially some very negative consequences. Yeah, throughout the food web. Yeah, and the food web includes us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We may be the ones eating those things, but we're part of that system. And, and I, think, I think that's sometimes where science misses the boat, is they don't bring it back to, to us. And how is this going to affect us? And, you know, when you talk about a degraded coral reef, losing the structure, having storms intensify, shoreline damage and erosion, and erosion fisheries, you know, declining all those things affect us and that makes it important to us and relevant so what would you like to see happen as far as um you know being able to take this cause to a higher level how would you like to, to approach it you know it's 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 so interesting it's got to be bottom up and top down it can't be one or the other i mean the, you know banning a plastic straw awesome great but it, but it has to be more than groups of us getting together and saying, we're not going to use a plastic straw. It also has to be our regulators and our government changing their mindset and shifting. And, and science has to inform that. Public opinion, yes. All of us talking to our, to our regulators and saying, you know, we, we want this to happen, but the science has to inform that. And uh, I think the more data we have to back all that up, the stronger the case is. Yeah, I know we, we you know, two to BC, we've been working quite a long time on on putting sensors in um, into the wild. Let's let's say 
whether it be terrestrial or aquatic. And you know, we have spent a long time trying to to work on uh, on an aquatic solution. Um, and it, I mean, it really just turns into into funding. Um, so you know, we we are trying very hard to to do that. And I know you know the the history behind it. But um, yeah, and I applaud that. We need it. We need that. We need those data. It's not one single piece of it. It's continuous streams of data to inform what's going on and help us predict what's going to happen and allow us to make changes so that they don't negatively impact us. Right. Well, I think that, uh, you know, I wish you and Frost Museum of Science uh, all the best uh, and best of luck with the, with the, um, the coral uh, outplanting that I know is upcoming for you guys. It's a wonderful project and uh, we know it's beneficial to the reef and uh, you know, GWC, we just wish you guys all the best of luck uh, with all of your adventures and hopefully I'll get to see you in person a little sooner than a long time again. Yeah, well, that, the same thing. We, we're big supporters of what you're working on. And um, all of us working together, I think is gonna have a major impact. Awesome. Thank you, Lady yeah. Aikens. Thanks for coming. I'd like to put it out to some news now and joining me to discuss some news uh, dr carson shine thanks for coming in and um for those of you that have, are just joining us for the first time or listening for the first time we do have a newsletter that goes out um, once a week it's called the two degree c climate check where we pull out um about two or three news articles uh, that we find that are climate related that are interesting and add that to an interesting uh, climate report um just once a week just the facts and um so today, Carson, I did see a headline, and uh, just looking at it now, uh, the headline is "Deepening Drought Holds Ominous Signs for Wildfire Threat in the West." Um, what's going on again? It is—it's coming up for wildfire season, but uh, how can we expect this to unfold this year? Thanks, Neil. Uh, the issue really is there's there's been an ongoing uh, drought in uh, California and, and other parts of the West for many years, really. Um, it's, it's come and it's ebbed and, and, uh, and, and flowed uh, for, you know, here and there, but on the most part, things are getting a bit drier. And this year, in fact, uh, reservoirs have been at their lowest levels um, in a long time, if on record, um, snowmelt, happened pretty rapidly early on in this in the spring so uh, there's not a lot of, uh, of river re river flow through there um, and the fuels the the, um, the vegetation and such is really at its driest level ever I think um, so it's it's a it's a recipe for really uh, significant chance uh, for wildfire activity I mean you can have these situations and not get a, a major wildfire season. I mean, that all depends on things like lightning strikes, carelessly tossed aside cigarettes, things like that, uh, out of control campfires. Um, but it's a, it's a sign that uh, there needs to be a great deal of vigilance out there uh, right now because conditions are so favorable for significant wildfires that could eclipse uh, last year's record fires in places like Napa and such. And, and this is because there, um, 
there is the understanding that we are entering, um, I see the word mega drought, but I'm hesitant to use it. Um, yeah, I, it's, mega drought is sort of a, uh, an uncertain term. Uh, in a place like California and such places in, in California and parts of the West, um, you know, drought, drought condition is always relative. And this, this area has been uh, fairly dry for many years now. Um, it could be considered part of, uh, of an emerging mega drought that, that may last uh, many more years, um, especially if the climate change projections are, um, are correct. Uh, things are are trending towards drier conditions out west, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know the opposite is true in places like the Midwest and and uh, and the Southeast that are going to be expecting uh, more uh, precipitation, possibly more flooding in, in terms of uh, of a rainfall regime than than droughts. Are we seeing um, are we seeing a difference in the snowpack um, heading into the summer months? the you know um from the catchment areas very much so um in in places such as california the snow uh, the snowpack the winter snowpack has been decreasing uh annually for several years um, and it's uh it's also the spring warm-up is occurring sooner which is, of course is uh, causing a, a, an earlier uh, melt off uh freshet season and uh and this, uh, and in the wintertime, more of this precipitation is falling as rain rather than snow. So these rivers really don't have their spring runoff the way that uh, they used to uh, in a lot of these places. Good. Well, thank you. Um, we'll be watching this one closely. Much appreciated. Thanks, Carson. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Two Degrees C Climate Chat. If you have a question you would like answered, a topic for discussion, or would like to be a guest on the show, please leave a comment below. We'd love to hear your stories and climate journeys. And if you like what you've heard today, please like, subscribe, and comment wherever you hear your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Two Degrees C Climate Chat podcast. Next week, we'll be interviewing Dr. Christy Foster, the Executive Director of the Tillamook Estuaries Partnership. So be sure to check back in then or find out more about the stories you just heard by visiting our blog at 2degreesc.org and connect to others like you via our social media. We'd love to hear your stories on climate journeys. And if you like what you've heard today, please like, subscribe and comment wherever you hear your podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors and partners without which this podcast is not possible with special thanks to Seren Media for producing today's episode. To find out more about our partners, please visit our website. And if you'd like to become a sponsor or partner, please email us at podcast at 2degreesc.org.